So we have a lot of you that enjoy fishing. And you're really good at it. You're really good fisher people, I guess, is what you men and women, fisher people. I'm not one of them. I am not a good fisherman. I don't fish well. You know, it may have started years ago. Uh, I was about eight or nine years old, and we were at uh, Fort Stevens State Park on the Oregon coast. And my dad said, hey, let's go fishing. And there was a little pond, a little small lake right there. I'm not sure if it was stocked. It didn't matter. Let's go fishing. And my dad, an experienced fisherman, he knew all about it. So he had the rods and he had the tackle box and he had all the bait. And I didn't know how to tie the, 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 the hook. So he tied it for me. I did bait it. I did bait it. And then I cast it out there and then I got bored. <laughs> so I set the pole on the ground and I ran away and started playing. And I was... I didn't throw any rocks in the lake. I thought about it, but I thought, no, they probably shouldn't throw rocks in the lake. But I'm playing around, having a great time. My dad, the experienced fisherman, he's doing all the right thing. He's casting it. He's jerking the line. He, you know, fisherman, you know what I'm talking about. You know how to do that. He's doing all the right things. And here I am playing off to the side. He had caught nothing. And then I hear him say, Mark. And I say, what? You have a fish on the line. So I ran back and I caught a fish and he, the experienced fisherman, caught nothing. <laughs> That's not what he expected. He's an experienced fisherman. He expected he was to catch the fish and I would catch nothing. In this event today, we have four men who are experienced fishermen. They know all about fishing and what happens to them today, they did not expect. They did not expect in a million years that something like this would happen to them today. Peter and Andrew and James and John were a, having a fishing experience. Yeah. And they couldn't imagine what was going to come next. Now what are they going to do with what comes next? What's going to come after what they experience here? In Luke chapter 5, what we see is that Jesus calls disciples to work with him on his mission of reaching people with the gospel and blesses them for their obedience. That there is a blessing for obedience. There, is a, there are rewards for faithfulness. That he blesses us for obedience and faithfulness. Did you know that as a Christian, you are called, you are called to carry the gospel message around the world. No, that's for full-time Christian workers. I'm not a full-time Christian worker. I'm only a part-time Christian worker. Does that mean you're part-time a Christian and part-time not a Christian? How does that work? I thought we're all full-time Christian workers. We all have the responsibility of, to be on mission with God and to carry that message of the gospel around the world. You and I together on mission with God. So we had the Nazareth experience last week, chapter 4, where Jesus stands up, reads out of Isaiah 61, and says that was a messianic portion of, of a prophecy, and said today it's fulfilled in your hearing. Remember, I'm the one that came to fulfill this. And then they try to kill him at the end, and he walks out in their midst. The rest of chapter 4 deals with showing us how Jesus fits Isaiah's prophecy. First of all, he's casting out demons at the end of chapter 4. Then he heals Peter's mother-in-law from a sickness. Then he heals a bunch of other people from various diseases. And then he casts out a demon once again. And the pinnacle of all of that to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy is in verse number 41 of chapter, 14, uh, chapter 4. And verse 41 simply says that you look back in your Bible. 
And demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. So the demons being cast out, knowing who Jesus is, makes the bold declaration, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. See, that was proving what Isaiah said. This is the one. And Jesus said, I am the one. So the rest of chapter four shows us he is the one who fulfills Isaiah's prophecy. Then we come into chapter, chapter five. He's now about ready to show his sovereign lordship. He is the Christ, the one who calls and blesses people. Look with me in verse number one. On one occasion, and that should be a clue to us knowing that Luke does not write chronologically, he writes thematically, orderly, to present to Theophilus an ordered account. So this just kind of tells us it's not necessarily in chronological order. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. You got to keep them washed and clean or they rot and you can't use them. So getting into one of the boats, he just goes and gets in one of the boats, which was Simon's. After he gets in, he asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. They had fished all night long. Experienced fishermen have caught nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. At your word, I will let down the nets. So again, we're, we'll come back to the on, on, on one occasion. It's just reminding us again, it's not in chronological order here. As a matter of fact, Matthew and Mark place the healing of Peter's mother-in-law after this event, not before it. Luke places it before it. Again, he's ordering it thematically, not chronologically. The lake of Gennesaret. I never heard of that. What is the lake of Gennesaret? The lake of Gennesaret, it's just another name for the Sea of Galilee. When it, it is truly a lake. It's not a sea as we would imagine. It's, it is a lake. In fact, we were told it's the bulge in the Jordan River, basically what it is, the Sea of Galilee, the lake of Gennesaret. So Jesus gets in Peter's boat. Peter doesn't say anything like, hey, get out of my boat. So he's okay with that. And then Jesus tells him, push out into the deep and let down your nets. But what I like is that Peter yielded his boat for Jesus to use. He was going to use it to further his ministry. Jesus was proclaiming the people are pressing in on him. They can't hear. He can't communicate. He needs to come back a little bit. And the amplification of the water then expands his voice to the people. So Peter is helping Jesus in his ministry. He yields his use of the boat to Jesus to use. It's a great example for us, isn't it? You say, I don't really have a lot. I don't have a lot either. I mean, I guess more than other nations, but I mean, I don't have, I have a small things, but the idea is that whatever I have, God, you can use. That's a great example. Whatever I have, you can use. You know why? Because it's his to begin with. He just let me use it and be a steward of it. But it's a good practice. If the Lord needs something for his ministry, give it to him. Peter yields his boat. Great example to it. And the people were wanting to hear the word of God. The first time you, Luke uses this phrase, the word of God, they wanted to hear what God had to say. They were, they were pressing in on him because they wanted to know what God had to say to them. So Jesus sits down in the boat. Remember in the synagogue, he stood up to read and he sat down to teach. Same thing, he's sitting down to teach. So he's sitting down in the boat. Notice that we only have one name here till later on in the text. Only one name. Luke is focusing in on Simon Peter right now. That's his purpose. 
He's focusing the reader's attention on Simon Peter by omitting any reference to any other people till later on in the text. So our emphasis should be on Simon Peter. What's going on in Peter's mind? What is he doing? What we need to understand is this is not the first encounter that these men had with Jesus. He has met Peter before. He has met Andrew before. Jesus has met them prior. This is not the first time that they've met. They met earlier at John's baptism. Look in John chapter 1. One of the two who heard John speak, that's John the Baptist, and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. So they meet Jesus. Then they go back home. They go back to their fishing. So this is not the first time they've met. They know who this Jesus is. Now this is another time that they have met, a different time. And to, a, to an experienced fisherman, the command to push out into the deep would seem so unreasonable. The fish aren't there at that time of the day. That's an unreasonable statement. God, that's an unreasonable thing you're asking me to do. You ever said that? You ever said that? God, that's an unreasonable thing you're asking me to do. Well, Peter could have said the same thing. That's an unreasonable thing you're asking me to do, God. That's unreasonable. It must, it, these professional fishermen know that the fish aren't there right now. That's an unreasonable command. I love it that Peter, even though it seemed unreasonable in his mind, he obeyed. Great example. And he calls Jesus master. He doesn't call him rabbi. He doesn't even call him teacher. He calls him master. Master. Used by Jesus' followers to designate his authority and his might, his power. He's the master. I mean, even just saying that word, he's my master. It invokes within us an idea of master-slave relationship, which we abhor because of the idea of slavery. But what we fail to remember is that Paul often in the New Testament calls us believers bond servants, slaves of Jesus Christ. That he is our master, can we say that this morning? Can we say Jesus is my master or no, I'm my master. I, I'm making decisions for my own life. I'm directing my life or no, Jesus is my master. Peter goes, master, your authority, your might, I'll, I'll push out. I'll push out. When I say Jesus is my master, I'm saying that I'm not the master. So, no matter how uncomfortable or unreasonable the commands of God are, may you and I be quick to follow and obey him because blessing comes with obedience. Blessings for rewards for your faithfulness. The text is interesting when it says you, Peter, put out into the deep, but you all, Peter and Andrew in the boat, let down your nets. Singular, you, Peter, plural, nets. You put down your nets. So Andrew's involved in this as well. Andrew's involved in this as well. So what does Peter do? He obeys. Look at verse number six. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. Again, plural. They signaled to their partners. So Peter and Andrew in a boat signaled to their partners, which later we find out are James and John, to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they, both boats began to sink. So many fish. But when Simon Peter saw it, the big amount of fish and the miracle that just happened, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. 
And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they heard, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So before when they met him, they went back to their fishing. But at this point, they abandoned everything and they're all in with Jesus. No more questions. No more hesitations. They're all in with Jesus. They follow him. His reaction, Peter's to the miracle is appropriate. He falls down. He realizes how sinful, sinful he is. This is a miracle this catch is. Because Jesus speaks with authority. He says, go out there. That's where they're at. And sure enough, that's where they were at. It kind of shows us that Christ-directed service may produce problems. What are we going to do with all this fish? Creates problems. What are we going to do with all this fish? See, when we're obedient to Jesus, he may bless us, and that may create problems. Jesus, thanks for blessing us. We only have 135 chairs. What are we going to do with all the people? Being obedient to Jesus may create problems in our lives. But we have to remember, sometimes those problems are blessings in disguise. I saw someone do this. They sold the fish. Doesn't say, my understanding, just knowing the heart of Peter. Remember, Peter's married. James and John were not told anything about them. Peter is married. We know for sure Peter has a mother-in-law. He's married. So the question is, who's going to take care of his wife while he's following Jesus? Sell the fish, use the proceeds to cover her expenses while he's gone following Jesus. See, they're blessings in disguise. Blessings in disguise. So let us remain faithful and obedient to Jesus. Let him sort out all the problems that may come out from our Christ-directed faithfulness. Peter's afraid. Fear is a normal response to the glory of God. That's a normal response. You and I would be terrified as well. If Jesus appeared right now in his glorified state, we'd be like John the Revelator, falling on our face like dead. It's a normal response. And then he responds back with, oh, I see you and now I see myself. And I'm a sinful man. Get away from me or depart. Well, where's he going to go? He's in a boat. He's not asking him to jump in the water. But the idea is just go away from my presence. So Luke is showing us that to receive the grace of God, a sinful person must repent. Peter says, look, I repent. He could even said, I repent in dust cloths and ashes. Peter discovered who Jesus is, and then he discovered who he was. Robert Stein wrote, the request is not to be taken literally. For where would Peter have expected Jesus to go? Rather as idiomatic for Lord be merciful to me a sinner or forgive me or something like what is a holy one like you doing with a sinner like me? Peter's sense of his own sinfulness was not due to disobedience but to a general unworthiness as he confronted the Lord's might and majesty. He was obedient. It wasn't that. He wasn't uncomfortable because he was disobedient. He was uncomfortable because the glory of the Lord is right there in his presence. The closer you and I get to God, the more we sense our sinfulness. If you don't sense your sinfulness and it's no big deal to you, you need to check to see if you're in the faith. Because yes, I'm not talking about perfection. What I'm talking about is sin should make us uncomfortable. If you're comfortable with sin, you better check to see whether you're in the faith or not because the closer that we see God, the more sinful we see ourselves. Remember Isaiah? When God appeared to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, you may remember this. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, Isaiah speaking, woe is me, for I am lost. 
For I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? Why did he respond that way? For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The closer you and I get to God, the more we sense our sinfulness, how much we're not like him. John Calvin wrote, man never attains to a true knowledge of himself until he has contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. If we really want to know who we are, we have to know who God is and then we see ourselves for exactly who we are. Now the catch, the catch was a reward for obedience. It was not due to the skill of the fishermen. They acted on the word of God and God blessed them for their faithfulness. See, God rewards obedience. We have to understand that. We have to put that into our thinking. We don't do stuff to get rewarded. We have to be acknowledged. He will reward us. Nevertheless, he rewards obedience. God blesses faithfulness. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the writer of Hebrews said this, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, that God is, and that he rewards those who seek him. You seek God with a pure heart. You seek God. God's drawing you by his spirit. He rewards that action. He rewards obedience. He rewards faithfulness. First Corinthians chapter three. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will, be, will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. God rewards obedience. God blesses faithfulness. In the revelation at the end of the book, Behold, I'm coming soon, Jesus said, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. There will be some that are going to be repaid with wrath because they ignored him, but the remnant on the earth at that time, the saved who saved during that time, they, yes, they will understand. They will be repaid for their faithfulness. So they launch out, throw out their nets, pull them in. There's so many fish, the boats, they call the second boat over. You can kind of picture it. They're kind of getting all the fish into the boats and the boats begin to sink. Not just Simon, Peter, and Andrew's boat, but James and John's boat. They both begin to sink because of the catch of the fish was so large. This shows us, this shows us very clearly because of Simon and Andrew's uh, obedience and faithfulness, James and John were blessed too. Obedience blesses others around us. Interesting. Is that biblical? Can we find a biblical example of how obedience blesses others around us? Yes, we can. Genesis chapter 39 and Joseph. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Obedience to God blesses others around us. James and John were blessed, not because of their obedience, but because of Peter's obedience. Your obedience can bless people around you. You and I are channels of God's blessings. We're not reservoirs to soar them in. They flow through us to other people. We become blessings to other people. They're blessed around us. So we let God's blessings pass through us to others around us, we bless. 
And you're probably at this point going, what does it mean to bless? What does that word mean? Bless you, bless this, bless that, blessing. What does bless mean? Interestingly enough, you ever been to a funeral? Sadly, I've been to too many. Part of a funeral usually is a section we call the eulogy. E-U-L-O-G-Y, eulogy. Eulogy is actually this word in the Greek. Comes from two Greek words, preposition you, good, and then logai, to speak. It means to speak well of, to speak well of, to do kindly acts towards, to provide benefits to. That's what it means to bless, to speak well of, to provide benefits to, to act kindly towards, to bless. That's what the word bless means. Did you know that you and I are called to be blessings to this world? We're called to be blessings to this world. Even this world is whacked out and crazy as it's becoming right now. You and I are called to bless this world, to be a blessing. Peter says this, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. In other words, someone comes along and is evil towards you. Someone reviles you, speaks evil of you. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Speak well of, act kindly towards Provide a benefit to, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. In 1 Corinthians 4, to the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When spoken evil of, we bless. We speak well of. We provide a benefit to, we act kindly towards the person. Someone's evil to us, what do we do? We're not evil back to them. We act kindly towards them. We provide a benefit to them. We speak well of. That's not normal. That is not human. That is a divine attribute. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we're entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuge of all things. Welcome to this world, Christian, in which you are an alien. Romans chapter 12. Bless those who persecute you. What? Speak well of? Act kindly toward? provide a benefit to someone who's persecuting me? Bless and do not curse them. I can't do that. That's a divine thing. That's not human. That's a divine act. I need the spirit of God at work in me to do that. I cannot do that on my own. Luke 6, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Now we're into the hating phase. Bless those who curse you. Speak well of, provide a benefit to, act kindly towards someone who's persecuting me? I'm not sure I can do that. Pray for those who abuse you. To act kindly towards, to provide a benefit to, to speak well of those who hate me and persecute me? I'm not sure I can do that. 2024 is a year that's going to be a decision year for our nation, in fact, for the whole world. We're moving into a phase of time that you and I would never have expected to come. It is a very, uh, it's a very dangerous time that we're in right now. We are not experiencing the the persecution like our brothers and sisters around the world that we're praying for. We in America have not experienced that yet. I don't know if anyone's ever told you they hate you because you're a Christian. I've never had that happen. But I want you to know that more, the more that the darker it gets, the more that you and I as Christians are going to be perceived as the problem in this world, not the solution. We are the problem in this world. We're opposed to certain things because they're biblical. We become the problem. 
And in 2024, it may shift towards you and I. We may be on the end of all these things of hating and persecuting. But what is he asking us to do? He's asking us to bless people. Not to revile them, not to hate them in return, not to speak evil of them, but to speak well of, provide a benefit to, to act kindly toward. That is not human. So he sends them out to become fishers of men. Fishers of men. What's interesting, it says, uh, he says, um, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Although he's talking to Simon, the you is plural. So he's referencing all the people there, Peter and Andrew, James and John. So it's addressed to all of them, not just to Peter alone. So God calls us to work together with him to reach people for Jesus, to be a blessing to this world. They followed him. They followed him. It's a term that we would talk about a disciple, a follower. You know, we are followers of Jesus. We are followers of the way, the book of Acts calls it. We're followers of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever called yourself a follower of Jesus. Makes good sense. We follow wherever he leads us. We're Christians we are, yes, but we're followers of Jesus. A disciple. And then it says, having left everything. Everything. So Luke underscores the condition of discipleship. They became all in. They weren't half in. They weren't a quarter in. They're all in at this point. They, are, they have left everything. Now, obviously, Peter's going to take care of his wife. That was the right thing to do. He would not neglect her. But they abandoned everything to follow Jesus. Because what? They're all in. There's nothing stopping them from saying, no, nah, no, nah, I can't do it. No, they are all in now at this point. Luke 14. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. They're all in everything. I'm in, whatever. Nothing. Nothing's holding me back. So now they become official disciples of Jesus. They were all in now. Before they had met him, but they weren't his followers because they didn't follow him. They're back fishing. Now they're going to follow him. They are completely all in, full-time followers of Jesus. 2024 is going to ask the question to us sitting here today, are you all in with Jesus? Are you all in with Jesus? Or is this Christianity thing just something I do on Sundays because I like the people at Medical Aid Community Church? It's not really my thing throughout the week. Are, you all, are we all in for Jesus? Or are we just playing games with God? When things go south, and they could go south very quickly in our nation right now, I know that you're paying attention as well as I am what's happening down in Texas right now. Depending on the response of the federal government, it could get very ugly very fast. And everything in our life will change. I hope it doesn't, but it could. And we're going to be confronted with the question, are you all in for Jesus? Are you all in? Or are you just going to play games with God? Will we, will we take this faith seriously? Or is this just something we do because it's fun? Charles Curtis wrote about uh, a professional poker player called Gus Hansen. I don't know who he is. But anyway, 2017, he was in a tournament professional poker player in a tournament. He started the game off with something very unusual. He started the game off by taking all of his chips and he put all of his chips. He was all in, all in on the first hand, all of his chips, all in. There was $300,000 in the pot. He won. The next hand, he's all in. The next hand, he's all in. He's all, it doesn't work well with poker because eventually you're going to lose, okay? So he did. He eventually lost. It's not, a good, it's not a good recommendation for poker to go in all in every time. But I can say to us today, it is a great recommendation for us who claim Jesus Christ as our Savior to say, I'm all in. 
Every day when I get up, I'm all in. I'm all into this thing. It's not some, something I just do because it's fun. I'm taking my faith seriously. I am all in. So are we all in today? Or are we just playing games with God? Things may change very quickly in our nation. Very quickly. Are we prepared for what's coming? Are we all in today? I have a, something that I found. Uh, I don't know who wrote it. I wish I did. I would attribute to him or her, whoever wrote it. It's from an African believer. I do know that, who came from a amnistic background, got saved, was rejected by his family, and writes this statement. And I'd like you to hear what this person says, and I'd like to know whether or not you and I could say the same thing that he or she has said here. The writer says this, Today I'm stepping across the line. I'm tired of waffling and I'm finished with wavering. I've made my choice. The verdict is in and my decision is irrevocable. I'm going God's way. There's no turning back now. I will live the rest of my life serving God's purposes with God's people on God's planet for God's glory. I will use my life to celebrate his presence, cultivate his character, participate in his family, demonstrate his love and communicate his word. Since my past is forgiven and I have the purpose for living and a home waiting in heaven, I refuse to waste any more time or energy on shallow living, petty thinking, trivial talking, thoughtless doing, useless regretting, hurtful resenting, or faithless worrying. Instead, I will magnify God, grow to maturity, serve in ministry, and fulfill my mission in the membership of his family. When times get tough and I get tired, I won't back up back off, back out, or backslide. I'll just keep moving forward by God's grace. I'm spirit-led, purpose-driven, and missions-focused, so I cannot be bought. I will not be compromised, and I shall not quit until I finish the race. I am a trophy of God's amazing grace, so I will be gracious to everyone, grateful for every day, and generous with everything that God entrusts to me. To my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I say, However, whenever, wherever, and whatever you ask me to do, my answer in advance is yes. Yes, Jesus. Yes, whatever you're asking. Yes. Wherever you lead me, whatever the cost, I'm ready. Anytime, anywhere, anyway. Whatever it takes, Lord. Whatever it takes. Are we going to be all in? Because we're going to need, we're going to need to be all in for what's coming our way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this example of Peter and his, his, his belief in, in your son, Jesus, to, to believe he has the power to do this. Master, his master. And you call them and you bless them and you send them out on a mission with you and promise them rewards for their faithfulness and obedience to you because you're a God who blesses. You bless us. Father, may we be a blessing to this world. There's too much evil out there. There's too much hate out there. There's too much persecution out there. We don't want to go down that road. We want to go down the road of being a blessing to our nation, to those around us. Oh, Father, give us the courage and the strength to unequivocally say, I am all in. I'm no longer playing games. This is real for me. I'm in it. I'm all in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.